You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called Business Frontiers, Social Responsibility, Sustainable Development and Economic Justice. Community Economics, Local Empowerment. There are a growing number of critics who claim a direct link between the advancement of industrial development based on neoclassical economics thinking and the erosion of communities. This erosion has in turn exacerbated numerous other social problems and created negative effects such as economic dependence, community disempowerment, cultural breakdown, social diseases and environmental destruction. The call by a growing number of new economists is for a more community-centered economics. This includes various concepts such as person in community, self-reliance, counter-development and eco-communitarianism. On a more practical level, the establishment and support of community businesses and other organizations as well as of local currencies or exchange systems, needs to be encouraged. The benefits of this community approach are wealth creation, empowerment, social cohesion, ethical conduct, sustainability, and the fulfillment of human needs. These are all the subjects to be briefly introduced in this episode. Many of the concepts and ideas are dealt with in other later episodes. The theme, however, is a thread that runs throughout this podcast, namely that we need a new economics with a human face and planetary perspective. The effects of industrial development on community. The specialization trap. One of the fundamental principles of neoclassical economics is the division of labor through specialization. For many communities or countries, however, Specialization can lead to dependence. Developing countries, for example, have found themselves reaping a bitter harvest for decades due to declining prices and terms of trade in primary goods. Often these patterns of specialization have been reinforced by conditions imposed by the World Bank or International Monetary Fund. This leaves countless communities, as new economist Guy Dornsey puts it, at the mercy of the international trade winds, which can destroy a monocrop economy overnight. Absentee executives. Another aspect of economics dependency is the tendency in industrial development for economic power to become concentrated in the hands of large, usually transnational corporations. The result is that the destiny of local economies becomes subject to the whims of managers making decisions in distant boardrooms or shareholders chasing the highest returns on their computer screens, neither of whom have any appreciation for the impacts of their decisions on real communities. Offices are transferred, retail outlets moved, or factories shut down with little concern for how this affects the economic viability of the local communities in which these activities operate. Community disempowerment. 
closely related to economic dependence is the loss of any sense of self-determination in communities, a situation exacerbated by international trade agreements and rollercoaster financial markets. This in turn changes people's behaviour, with increasing levels of passivity, apathy and people abdicating personal responsibility, a phenomenon which community development activist Helena Norberg-Hodge observed in the remote area of Ladakh. New economist Paul Eakins calls this learned helplessness and ascribes it to the trend in industrial countries of replacing neighborhood communities with communities of interest. Cultural imperialism Another claimed effect of industrial development is the reduction of cultural diversity and creation of a monoculture. Individuals experience a loss of identity as they feel pressured to conform to idealized images presented by Western media or corporate advertising. Barefoot economist Manfred Max Neef talks of this in terms of patterns of consumption exported by the affluent countries and imposed on third world countries which threaten their cultural identity. Some go so far as to call this cultural imperialism. Social costs. Ecological economists Herman Daly and John Cobb suggest that the devaluation of communities in the name of free trade results in community standards such as social security, Medicare, and unemployment benefits all being competed away since they are regarded as costs. The experience of the Ladakhi community related by Norberg Hodge also suggests an increase in the diseases of civilization such as cancer, strokes, and diabetes. Other social costs may include periodic unemployment, family instability, and high rates of divorce, physical disease, mental illness, crime, delinquency, and drug addiction. Environmental destruction. Following on from their previous argument, Daly and Cobb also claim that free trade is an invitation to the tragedy of the commons, since conservation standards, like social services, will be competed down. Irrespective of economic theory, the environmental impacts of centralized, large-scale industrial economies are clearly visible for all to see. Consumption of resources, utilization of energy, and production of wastes all increase exponentially as an economy urbanizes and adopts Western lifestyles. People become numb to the incredible beauty and critical importance of the environment when they are surrounded by cities of concrete, artificial light and sterilized air. Concepts for community-centered economics. Daly and Cobb suggest that neoclassical economics, or crematistics, which abstracts the market from the community, needs to be replaced by community economics, or oikonomia, which views the market from the perspective of the total needs of the community. In order to do this, the popular concept of individuals as free, rational, utility-maximizing consumers, or homo economicus, needs to be replaced by the concept of person in community. The economic framework which they develop on this basis 
places greater importance on patterns of relationships in a community that are meaningful and personally satisfying, as well as relative local self-sufficiency, decentralization of the economy, and environmental sustainability. Self-reliance. Max Neef calls for the logic of economics which perpetuates financial, technological and cultural relationships of dependence to be replaced by an ethics of well-being based on the satisfaction of fundamental human needs and on the generation of growing levels of self-reliance. The principles of self-reliance are described as first the satisfaction of basic human needs while not limiting economic activity to the basics only. Second, reliance on the community for economic goods and services which fulfill basic needs. Third, trade over and above this only when the net balance of costs and benefits between parties, including externalities, is as equal as possible. And fourth, inclusion of compassion and a will to resist violence, direct or structural, from the outside. Counter-development Norberg-Hodge believes industrial development needs to be resisted and reversed in a process she calls counter-development, which embodies the following characteristics. First, active support of ecological and cultural diversity. Second, promoting of economic decentralization and self-reliance. Third, employment of appropriate technology. Fourth, nurturing and support of local knowledge. And fifth, development of a broader worldview of interdependence based on intimate connection to community and place. Eco-communitarianism. UK political activist Jonathan Porritt proposes eco-communitarianism as an alternative to industrial development and derives the following basic tenets. First, human scale and the appropriateness of scale to a specific ecological context. Second, balance between rights and responsibilities, including responsibilities to earth, other creatures and future generations. Third, Self-reliance, including the ability to provide meaningful work. Fourth, the community theme of systems, including natural systems embedded in physical communities. And fifth, ethics, which involves a new concept of success rooted more in spirituality than greed. Practical application of community-centered economics. Community Financial Organizations One way to reverse the destructive community effects of capital drainage from local areas is to establish community financial organizations. According to Australian community activist Jay Jordan, the lead in this area came from the emergence of community revolving funds in the US during the 70s and was picked up in Australia since the mid-80s. She cites the Maple Street Cooperative as a prime example. In 1994, after less than 10 years of existence, the community financial organization had an asset base of a million dollars, with 2,600 members from the local community of Mullaney, and had provided finance for 78 new jobs within 33 new businesses. 
Other good examples include the JAK Cooperative Banks in Sweden and the Caja Laboral Popular of Mondragon in Spain. Some of the beneficial aspects of these organizations are that they can foster a measure of local financial autonomy, provide a democratic structure to determine money priorities in the community, provide a community revolving fund, and direct money towards worthwhile projects while empowering the community immeasurably. Community businesses. Community businesses have an important role to play in revitalizing the local economic order. Often these take the form of cooperatives, but Canadian business development professor Greg McLeod notes that they should take on whatever structure is most appropriate for the local context and needs. More important than their structure is that resources, labor, shareholders and reinvestment of profits are all as much as possible local. Case studies include New Dawn Enterprise in Canada, Mondragon in Spain, and the Briarpatch Network. The latter is a loose affiliation of approximately 800 community businesses in Japan, Sweden, Finland, and Canada. These businesses seem to be providing far more successful and sustainable outcomes than those in the mainstream. While the average failure rate for most U.S. companies in the first three years of operation is 80%, it has only been 5% for the Briarpatch businesses. Micro-organizations A considerable portion of economic activities takes place outside the visible monetized economy. Max Neef refers to this as the work of micro-organizations of the invisible world. They include youth and women's movements, cultural and ecological groups, charities and welfare organizations, self-help and activist networks, all groups of people who are doing productive work in communities but are not recognized by the formal economy. Their activities are a vital element in the healthy functioning of community economies and hence all efforts to support and strengthen these organizations should be made. Local exchange systems. Various forms of exchange systems for goods and services are one way to empower communities to meet their own needs. The simplest and most time-tested of these are barter systems. The prevalence of this practice is suggested by Daly and Cobb, who estimate that 10 to 20 percent of world trade takes this form. There are also examples of service exchange systems, usually based solely on the value of time rather than any presumed market values for service. Under one of these, the Time Dollars system developed in the US by Edgar Kahn in the 1990s, it was reported that over 3,000 participants were providing about 15,000 hours of service a month in nine states. Another, called WomenShare, is a service exchange network started in 1991 for women in New York City, and it grew so rapidly that their members were offering each other 60 different kinds of instruction and 130 different services. Local currencies. The creation of local currencies has historically been a way to regenerate local wealth and reduce dependency on unpredictable macroeconomic forces. The best known example of this 
is the stamp script money, which Silvio Gesell started in the Austrian town of Wargel during the years of the Great Depression of the 1930s. A similar initiative was undertaken in 1972 in the U.S. town of Exeter, where Ralph Borsodi experimented for one year with a local currency called Constance, which he based on a standard of value using 30 commodities in an index similar to the Dow Jones average. There have been numerous other local currencies introduced around the world since these, including, for example, time dollars, farm notes, women's shares, and let's. Let's. Let's means local exchange trading system, which more than any other parallel community currency has spread the most widely internationally. Let's was first established by Michael Linton in 1983 when his rural community in British Columbia, Canada, was devastated by an economic recession. The system allows members to trade both goods and services using a combination of conventional dollars and community-created credits called green dollars and keeping track of members' balances in a central computer program. By 1990, Linton's system had 600 members with a yearly turnover of 325,000 green dollars. Let's is now in operation in Canada, the US, England, Australia and New Zealand. Other similar systems are the WIR network in Switzerland and Ithaca Money in New York. Jordan suggests that all these community currency and exchange systems have the advantage of being created in the community at the time when it is needed, of having availability limited only by the time and energy of participating individuals, of only being useful in its trading function rather than being used for hoarding, since no interest is paid, and of being simple to use and safely limited to usefulness only within the community. The Benefits of Community-Centered Economics there are clearly a series of benefits which can be associated with community-centered economics, which are discussed briefly now. Wealth creation. Jordan notes that the premise of all the various kinds of local economic development discussed already is that the real wealth in community lies in the goods and services of that community, not in the money available to it. Similarly, says Dornsey, Prosperity is a function of circulation of wealth, not of the crude quantity of wealth. The lesson of community-centered economics is that communities can and do create their own wealth through encouraging local trade, supporting community businesses, and creating work and hence jobs for themselves. Empowerment and self-esteem. By fostering self-reliance, Communities and the individuals in them feel more in control of their own destinies. Community-centered economics also helps to counteract the destructive feelings of uselessness created by the impersonal formal economic system. As Brunt puts it, learning new skills or discovering that you can meet various everyday needs directly and that you can create beauty or solve problems without having to rely on outside experts all contribute to self-esteem. Similarly, new economist Jay Galtang 
says that self-reliance is psychopolitics as much as economics. It presupposes and builds self-respect. Social cohesion. Norberg Hodge draws on her experience of the Ladakhi community when she suggests that a more community-centered economic system increases social cohesion in the form of greater cooperation and mutual support as opposed to selfish competitive behavior. This also manifests in a greater sense of cultural integrity and celebration of this timeless heritage. She believes this social cohesion is rooted in the fabric of local interdependence and deep, long-lasting connections to other people, and in the feeling of individual security which this brings. This is the same notion which underlies Daly and Cobb's concept of an economics of person in community, namely persons are internally related to one another. In other words, their relationships define their identities as persons. Ethical conduct. Eakins observes that various codes of conduct and instruments of regulation and control are likely to have to be invoked far less often in a locally based economy than in an economy with long supply and distribution chains, primarily conceived in terms of national and international markets. Free trade critic I. Ropke explains why this is the case, saying that the ethical constraints on our behavior can only be developed if we are confronted in a very direct way with the consequences of our behavior. Thus, the existence of ethical constraints depends upon the predominance of a daily life with close relationships to other people and nature. Hence, communities, not free markets, are likely to be more self-regulating for the best social good. Sustainability. As already inferred in the previous sections, sustainability is better achieved if economic empowerment exists at a local level, since communities are more sensitive to ecological feedback information and more ethically constrained than remote corporate executives or government officials. Environmental problems are reduced also because of the smaller scale and greater ease of achieving closed production circuits in community-based economic activities. The fact that Local Agenda 21 exists also seems to support this view, namely that many environmental solutions are to be found at a local level. Fulfillment of human needs. Community-centered economics also achieves a broad spectrum of satisfaction of fundamental human needs and in satisfying specific needs seems less prone to violating others. This achievement is described by Max Neef as follows. By lessening economic dependence, subsistence is safeguarded. Furthermore, it fosters participation and creativity. It stimulates and reinforces cultural identity through an increase in self-confidence. New economist Kay Parker also notes that by adopting this approach, a community can seek to maximize the growth of meaning rather than of material production. In conclusion, this episode has sought to demonstrate that not only is a more community-centered economics needed, but that conceptual and pr practical tools for its promotion exist and are gaining in popularity. This is testimony to a recognition by a number of socio-economic reformers 
that we cannot simply opt out of the current economic system or idly await its collapse. There is no out, and if the system were to collapse, an important element that this movement seems to bring to the prevailing field of economics is its emphasis on the importance of the human qualitative side of economics. In essence, community-centered economics is a reminder to all of us that the function of economics is to serve humanity and the earth and not the other way around.